If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning. We'll begin our time together by uh, reading along uh, in God's Word. 2 Corinthians 9 uh, verses 6 through 15 um, should be sectioned off in most of your Bibles. Uh, so we'll read that scripture. Also, if you would, bookmark Acts chapter 20. We'll be turning over there at the end of our time together, uh, not too far back a few pages to the left in your Bibles. Um, Acts chapter 20, we'll look at that later. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 6. And God's word says to us, the Apostle Paul writes to us, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one gives as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness." While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the need to the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, normally we try to ease into the scripture and the topic that is before us on any given Sunday. But today we have a lot to talk about. So we're going to hit the fast forward button just a little bit uh, from our usual pace. I don't normally do this, but uh, this is one of the few Sundays of the year where I think it's pretty obvious what we're going to talk about, uh, what we should be talking about. Uh, the title card, of course, reminds us, and we've been singing about today, that uh, later this week we in America will be celebrating Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is such a relevant holiday, uh, even beyond that, a relevant and appropriate concept for us to consider as the church, as Christ followers, uh, that we decided to not just dedicate one Sunday to it, but for the last two Sundays, we have been talking all about Thanksgiving. So in case you weren't with us last week, or in case you forgot, which is okay either way, um, I, I need to talk to y'all for just a minute to make sure everybody is on the same page, maybe for just five minute tops, uh, five minutes uh, top. So the rest is bear with me, uh, and I think it will benefit from hearing this a little, hearing this reminder and these these points from last time. Um, it'll bear a uh, uh, will benefit from hearing them again. Um, so last week we had a conversation called Thanksgiving Out Loud. Uh, and we arrived at a few very revelatory and very, very important truths that I want to kind of bring back to the surface this morning before we can take on and, and continue part two today. So we began a conversation around something that we all agree is true. Uh, maybe we never thought about it much, but we all, I think, at, you know, initially said, well, yeah, that's true. Um, last week, we began uh, our conversation around this truth, that if we are not taught to say thanks, we won't say thanks. 
right? You have to remind your kids, what do you say? And, and they have to say, oh yeah, thank you. When they're done some, done, somebody does something for them, someone gives them something, when somebody is nice to them, right? We teach our children, we teach those that we are guardians over to say thank you because we all know if we aren't taught to say thanks, we won't say thanks. If we aren't taught to be thankful, we won't be thankful. So we concluded that thankful and grateful are not natural reactions or feelings to good things. They are decisive, learned responses. The reason these are such important virtues to learn and the, and the reason our parents and whomever uh, raised us or had an influence over us, the reason they taught us to say thank you is because otherwise we would not be thankful. We would be conceited and entitled. And let's be honest, Nobody likes that, right? Uh, but we stepped in and said, spiritually speaking, the bigger play at hand is that saying thank you is more than just an expression. It is a transformation from self-centeredness to self-awareness. This tra transformation is no, so necessary because self-centeredness is where we all end up if we are not taught to say and be Thankful and the self-centeredness will never produce an awareness for how blessed we are and important for today's talk, why we are blessed in the first place. So Thanksgiving is a holiday that our nation has celebrated in some way, shape, or form since the very beginning and earliest of days. Um, our leaders took a page from the book of Deuteronomy where Moses is instructing Israel as they are about to take possession of the long-awaited promised land. Moses has a stern warning for them that he repeats again and again and again throughout that book. And what we learned in our look last week was that Moses warns Israel as they entered a land full of blessings, be intentionally thankful lest you become naturally forgetful. That unless you are intentionally thankful, you will naturally be forgetful. Even in, especially in a land full of blessings, our nature is not to be thankful. Our nature is to be forgetful. Because isn't it true? Full bellies and full wallets and full houses and full garages, agendas and calendars full of fun and freedom, they are not naturally conducive and they do not produce thankfulness. They more than likely produce forgetfulness. Listen, it bears repeating if you've heard it before. If Moses had to pull Israel over to the side before they took possession of the promised land that God had been telling them he would take them to for generations, if Moses had to get Israel, the people of God, after they had been led by the hand of God out of captivity through the wilderness with miracle after miracle after miracle sustaining them every day, if Moses had to take them aside, and remind them to be thankful lest they forget. How much more do we need to be reminded? And come on, we don't do it intentionally. We don't do it maliciously. We do it naturally. We quickly forget, and that's why it's so true that if we do not say thank you, Lord, early, often, and out loud, we won't be thankful. That's why the Bible is full of hundreds of commandments and verses and reminders like this one. 
Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 136, that line is repeated all throughout that chapter as we saw last week. But here's where we learn something else very important. We don't owe God praise because we have it good. He deserves praise because he is good. Because again, thankful isn't a feeling, even though we feel sometimes thankful. We feel like, hey, that's good. I'm glad I got it. Thankful isn't a feeling, our reaction to good things. Thankful is a choice on our devotion to God. And this qualifier is so important because sometimes our God, who is good, in his sovereignty leads us and allows us to take pathways that are not full of the kind of blessings we were looking for. But the Bible reminds us again and again, still yet, as it reveals us a God who is over and over again, good and sovereign, whether we feel good or whether we feel secure or not, we should still be thankful and we must still be thankful because God is still good. God is still sovereign, even when we don't feel good, even when we don't feel secure. His trustworthiness is proven in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus among all the other proofs in the Bible. But Jesus punctuates that God is trustworthy even when we question that. And of course we question it sometimes. We wonder, we doubt, we fear, we worry if things are going to work out for good for us. But Jesus proves to us that God is good and sovereign and trustworthy at all times. Jesus suffered the worst possible circumstances to prove that in every bad circumstance we find ourselves in, whether we got there on our own or whether we were unjustly put there. And I hope you hear this and maybe you can check out for the rest of this. This is that important. Jesus suffered the worst circumstances possible to prove that in every bad circumstance you ever find yourself in, if you got there on your own fault or somebody put you there on their fault, he teaches us that there is redemption available. This sinful world that leads us to do bad things often sees us suffer bad things has been overcome by a good and sovereign God. But believing that isn't natural. It's contrary to our nature, which is why the Bible leads us in thanksgiving again and again and again so that we would not forget this, that no matter what, our God is with us and he is for us. David made this proclamation in Psalm 138. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So what is David thankful for on the basis of God's love and God's trustworthiness that has been made clear in his name, in his character, in his word? David says, on the day I called to you, you answered me. My strength of my soul was increased. David found solace and peace and strength in worshiping God. He also said this, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. Next verse. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. He will not forsake the work of his hands. David had a peace and found strength in being thankful, even in, especially in the midst of his troubles. 
We will never find this peace and this strength. Our hearts will never be that full unless we are thankful. But we can be thankful because our God is always thankful. So we choose to be thankful even if we don't feel thankful because gratitude is not an emotion, it's an attitude. The devil and your flesh will make you think it's a feeling and I don't feel it today, so I'm not gonna show it today. It's never been an emotion. It's never been a feeling. It's a choice. It's an attitude. So when somebody asks you this week, why are you thankful? Yeah, we're thankful for the blessings we've got, but our thankfulness is not held hostage by whether or not we have it good. Our thankfulness is constant because we have a good God and we can trust him no matter what, so we will thank him no matter what. Now, most of you are probably thinking what I was thinking when I put this together a few weeks ago or began to work on all this. That sounds like an an appropriate and sufficient and logically concise Thanksgiving message. There really does need to be a part two. I mean, doesn't that pretty much cover the whole point of the whole day? And that's the exact reason why I felt the starting and stopping at this message would be an insufficient thing. It causes us to be super cognizant of our blessings, yes. It drives us to be extra thankful for a day or maybe a week, yes. And if we lived in a morally neutral world or a morally good world, then maybe that would be enough. But we don't. We live in a fallen world, and maybe the most fallen part about this world is us, which is most evident in how we are more forgetful than we are thankful. Forgetful of how good God has been to us, even when our hands are full of blessings that came straight from him. And that's why we have to go beyond just learning to be thankful. That's why there's more to the story. Because to be truly thankful for our handfuls of blessings, we must know how to rightly handle our blessings. To be truly thankful for our handfuls, we must know how to rightly handle all of our blessings. As in, what should we be doing with what we have been given? To truly be thankful is more than just saying it out loud, but finding a way to go a step beyond. Because if the God of the universe has really placed things in our hands for his glory, then they beckon us. He beckons us to do more than just say thanks and move on. There is this gravitational pull from it all that says there's more to it. So just stopping at a message that says we should be grateful isn't enough, even though we should be, because I think it deserves and demands more, something that will outlast the day or the week, something that will outlast the act of giving thanks and inspire a conviction of living out our thanks. Now, again, this subject is addressed in the Bible as much as it addresses the simple notion of giving thanks. There is so much about living a life of thanksgiving in God's word. So the question behind this message is really simple. How can we turn a day of thanksgiving into a life of thanksgiving? How can we turn an attitude of gratitude into habits of gratitude? How can we turn an act of thanksgiving giving into actions of thanksgiving. I I think our starting point is around this truth we settled on last time that confirms that God is always good and God is always sovereign whether we feel like that or not. 
And our choice to be thankful when our hands are full of blessings or when our hands are full of burdens is so crucial in answering these questions. See, if we've got God at his proper elevation, if we've lifted up God where he needs to be and deserves to be, and we've anchored our faith in what his word reveals, not how we feel, and we're living under the constant reminder of who God is, who we are, and why we should always be thankful. This is what that does and what that allows for us. It allows our handfuls, good or bad, blessings or burdens, because sometimes our hands are full in the bad way, right? It allows our handfuls, when we're under God, his sovereignty and his goodness, it allows what's in our hands to be always under a light of redemption, as in we see them and whatever is going on around us, around our lives in the proper perspective. And as that light shines in on our lives, suddenly just settling with, well, this is for my good, isn't enough of an answer for us. While that may be a true statement, suddenly when God's goodness and sovereignty are shining down on our blessings or our burdens, we will be compelled to think bigger than just how this works out for me, but we'll start asking, what is God at work in the midst of this? What is God up to with all of this? Romans 8.28 is really ground zero for the pivot that we're going to make. We all know this verse. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. We, we've heard that. We quote that. That verse gives us a lot of comfort, and it should. When we let God's goodness and sovereignty shine down on our lives, separate from how we feel, we begin to think, thank him no matter what, and we begin to see his purpose in everything that's going on in our lives, good or bad even especially in the bad. This verse comes at us with inspiration and power and transforms our lives because suddenly the good goes from my good to God's good. Do you see that? See, what does it mean for good? We in our nature say, well, that's my good, obviously. But we begin to look at this verse in a new light under God's goodness and sovereignty, under God's plans, under God's what he's working out behind the scenes. We begin to see more than our good. We begin to see what is God working on? What is for God's good? What is for God's glory? And suddenly we begin to feel an ambition that says, I'm thankful because God is good and God is sovereign and my hands are things he has given me, things he's authorized for my lives. Whether they seem good or whether they seem bad, they are for him and they are from him and I can find rest and I can find hope in that. You, you see, when we, say, when we say thank you and stop there, we're seeing ourselves as the end, as the goal as where the blessings come and where the blessings stop. But I think an old hymn can help us out today. We've all heard the line and sang the line, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thanksgiving reminds us that our blessings come from God, even the things that we don't often recognize as blessings. God gives us this life and God has ordained this life it's an opportunity for all of us to renew our understanding of the nature and the purpose of those blessings, which should prompt us to step beyond just saying thanks and begin showing thanks, from just vocalizing it to verbalizing it. Because Christians, we understand the nature of everything that God gives us. Every day, everything, every opportunity flows to us from God so that it might flow through us 
for God. Do you follow that? The blessings are from God to us so they might flow through us for God. See, Christians, we can't stop at the first line. We know there's more to it. We will never have a full heart if we stop at the first line. We may have a good worship service for an hour a week, but we'll never have a lifestyle that goes beyond there. The blessings come from God to us, but they are meant to flow through us for God and his glory. Now, this is how our thankfulness and gratitude can outlast a day in November and even a Sunday morning week after week and begin to make a lifestyle of thanksgiving for us. And it has everything to do with what we do with what we've been given. The text that speaks the truth louder, this truth louder than any other is what we read from to begin our time together, 2 Corinthians 9. Uh, now, if, you're, if you know anything about 2 Corinthians, this is a letter written by Paul to a burdened, beleaguered, and broken church. They were not growing out, out the seams. They were not you know, thriving as a church. They were a broken people. They were a burdened people. They were a very weak people. The community at Corinth had been fractured again and again and again and again, and the church was barely hanging on. And the church had been facing hardships after hardships, persecution, suffering, uh, um, self-inflicted consequences from immorality. You name it, they were facing it. And Paul writes them, first to encourage them, remind them that Christ is their advocate and their refuge, but he doesn't stop there. Midway through the book, he begins to talk to them about being thankful in spite of what they were facing, which was not easy for them to do. And then he starts talking to them about the importance of living out their gratitude. So I preface this passage with that because it's, if, this is where, if this was Paul's word to them, as they faced pretty challenging circumstances, I, I think it only amplifies its truth for us. Look with me once more, verses 6 through 8. So, Paul says, this is why I've said all that I've said so far. The point of all that I've said before this is this. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Now, now what is he using this harvest language for? He's talking about what will bring God the most glory and what will produce him the most thanksgiving, what will lift him up the most and what will glorify him the most and what will fill our hearts the most. And he says, essentially, if, we, if you don't plant a lot, you won't see a lot grow. But if you plant a lot in the ground, a bountiful harvest will rise up. He says, that's just nature. That's just science. That's not really spiritual. That's just the truth. That's the laws of the world that we live in. And he says, so let each of one, each one of you, as he purposes in her, his or her heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, give, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. So what does verse 8 tell us that the, the point of blessing, the point of receiving from God is this very point. From God to us, through us, for God. Right? He says God has given you all grace. He has abounded towards you grace that even when you don't recognize it at first, it is God's nourishment. It is God's strength for you. It is God working in your heart, in your life to make you someone more like him. 
that God has made all grace abound towards you that you might have all that you need so that you might abound in every good work for him. Notice the end game there. Notice the the idea. Notice the, the end result of what it means to live a thankful life. He gets to the point and says, I've said all this. God has been giving you his grace and working his grace so that you, by his grace, might work for him. He uses this sowing and reaping analogy to basically say, if you want to truly produce a harvest of worship for God, you will serve him with a cheerful heart. Because that is what truly and actually shows that we are thankful Paul's invitation to us is that we step into a lifestyle of thanksgiving by way of stepping into a life of giving. What truly and actually shows God that we're thankful is when we take what he's given us and mimic what he's done for us. So why all of a sudden does Paul start talking about generosity? We'll flip back a page and look at chapter eight, verses eight through nine, eight through 10, and you'll have a little bit more of an idea about what Paul, uh, what Paul is getting at. When he introduced this idea of giving and generosity to the people, he said this in chapter eight, verse eight. I speak not by commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do, a year ago before a lot of the bad things started happening. So what is he talking about? Doing what? Doing what Christ had did for them. Christ emptied himself for them. He emptied himself for us. He was rich, but he became poor. The Corinthians had begun to mimic Christ earlier, but because of the hardships, they had backed off. The middle of their storm, Paul writes back to them and says, I know this may sound insensitive. I know this might not be the right time, but I'm telling you, you need to renew your commitment to this cause right now in the middle of the storm. Because in this, you'll find more and more grace and which will strengthen you and help you understand the purpose of it all. Paul writes to these Corinthian, the Corinthian church as they could not really see what was going to happen in the future. They were in a fog. They were frustrated by all the things they did not know uh, and could not figure out and didn't know how they were going to work out. And Paul's advice to them is to learn and possess a heart of generosity. A heart that gives and gives and gives for the glory of God, for the good of others. A heart that is pouring itself out at all times. Even though our nature says, hey, maybe it's time to be a little bit selfish. You know what Paul is saying? You know what he's getting at here? Generosity in the midst of uncertainty produces clarity and understanding. The more we mimic Christ, the more we understand what his motives were, the more his grace comes to our hearts. That generosity in the midst of uncertainty produces clarity and understanding, pouring out our lives for God and for others because to serve God is to serve others, opens our eyes to God's purposes for all things that we face, that we're going through, what the world's going through, choosing to give rather than take, choosing to leverage all that God has given us Each day, each opportunity, each blessing, even the burdens that we have. 
Choosing to leverage who we are, finding some way to love and give and serve with and through it all. That gives you an exclusive perspective in life and produces eternal thanksgiving to God. The verse that I think makes all of this come together is verse 11 in chapter 9. Paul says, you were enriched in everything. You know what everything refers to? Everything. What are, think about your life right now, everything that you're going through. Everything, the good, the bad, the things that you wish would go away, the things that you wish were more frequent and more abundant. God has enriched you in everything that you are and that you have right now. God has enriched you for all liberality is what King James, New King James uses. Modern translations use the word generosity. God has enriched you for all generosity, which will produce thanksgiving through us to God. You, you see what Paul is doing here? He's finishing the, 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 the idea of thanksgiving all for us. We've learned to give thanks. But now he says, let's learn to give to God and for his causes, to give our lives away as God has given us this life to use for him. We are enriched by God in everything, in every way, so that we may show generosity through everything, show kindness through everything. And that's the verse, isn't it? We are enriched by God so that we may generously and liberally and abundantly use it all for his glory. Our nature says it's all mine. But there is a direct through line between that nature and a life that does not know thankfulness and a life that is not full of the joy that God offers us. The Bible is consistent in this message. God's word is always associating, leveraging our lives for God and being properly and sufficiently thankful to God. Paul himself said this in Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. This is your worship. This is what true worship is. Present your bodies, your life. God is after a lifestyle of thanksgiving. Paul makes it clear that true worship isn't just what we say about our blessings, it's what we do with our blessings. Of course, Paul wasn't just all preach. He modeled this brilliantly in a way that is incredibly, incredibly humbling. You don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to trust me for it or any other preacher for that matter, but we can't ignore Paul's because he truly demonstrated what it means to give thanks and what it looks like to show thankfulness with your life. We've been studying Acts on Wednesday nights for a while, and we've learned, and if we've learned anything, it's that if anybody lived out this message, if anyone put the giving in Thanksgiving, it was Paul. Near the end of the book, God tells Paul that I've got a plan to take you to Rome, Paul the capital of the empire where you can do the most good for the most people and position the church to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, which is what happened, right? 2,000 years later, here we are. God's plan worked, but his plan worked because Paul was ready to follow it. It was going to cost him dearly. 
And the church leaders also received revelation from God and uh, the, about the journey that Paul was going to take and how it was going to be very costly, and they begged him not to go. They lined up one group after another. Please don't go. They pleaded with him, please do not go. Paul, you've given more than anyone else. You've done more than anyone else. You don't owe this to nobody. God doesn't require this of you. They build Paul up, and they say, Paul, please, just do yourself a favor. Take one day off. You don't have to do this. And Paul faces waves of church leaders that beg him, pull at his garment, please don't go. Every stop he makes on the way to Jerusalem where the journey to Rome would begin and every step of the way he was pleaded with and he could not be persuaded. I want you to look at one of his responses with me as we close today. And boy, does it make what he just taught us in 2 Corinthians seem pretty mild in comparison. Flip back, if you will, to Acts chapter 20. I want to jump in to Paul's word to the elders of Ephesus as he's departing their church. They have begged him not to go. More and more would beg him not to go. But I want you to listen, and I want you just to kind of let the words that Paul used, just let these words soak in just a little bit. Acts 20, verse 22 through 24, down toward the end of the chapter. Paul says, See, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. So he wasn't doing this with, oh no, I'm going to suffer and it's going to hurt. He said, I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel gospel of the grace of God. Now, I know Paul was Paul, and there's just one of them, but could those words come out of our mouth? Paul says this kind of stuff all throughout the New Testament. In Philippians, he says he was willing to give his entire life and trade his luxuries and privileges away because the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus bid him to come. You see, he wasn't doing this out of dogged obedience. He knew that a life of thankfulness is a full life. That even though he may be emptied of his flesh, he knew that his spirit would be full as could be. He wasn't distracted or deceived by this world, which offers us mere illusions of fullness. You know, we are all so well aware of our fleeting nature, the brevity of this life, the passing nature of it all, which is why our nature resists living a generous, sacrificial life. Because we think the joy is only found in consumption. We think joy is only found when we're at the center of it all. Out of this awareness and how fleeting life is, more than a decade ago, a phrase came to the surface that is still around in different forms. People began saying years and years ago that they wanted to live their life to the fullest. Nothing wrong with that idea. It's a great, it's a great concept that you want to get the most out of life. The idea of making the most of each day, starting, staying after each day, pushing forward, striving to be all that you can be, accomplishing all that you can, possessing all that you can. But the Bible teaches us and Paul showcases for us that there's a better, more fulfilling way to live. Living a thankful life is living a full life. And those that are most thankful, those that are most worshipful are also most sacrificial. The most generous, giving, and kind people. They live with open hands, knowing that God gives and God takes. Blessed be his name. You see, those that serve like Paul know the secret. 
Our hearts are always filled with much more than we gave away or poured out. Your heart will always be filled with much more than you give away or you pour out. Later on in Acts 20, Paul concludes with this amazing statement that really was the thesis for it all. He says, I have shown you, verse 35, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak as I'm doing with my life. I'm doing this for everybody but me. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus. And, and, and nobody remember these words because they're not written in the Gospels. Only Paul had heard them. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul drops a never before heard or read quote from Jesus. People wonder when Jesus said it. Perhaps it was something that exclusively was given to Paul because of the life that he chose to live. And here he bids us to know this exclusive blessing by making this way our own. Before we end today, I want you to think about this statement. We all know the blessing that comes along with receiving, don't we? All of us know how good it is to receive stuff. Nobody here says, I don't like receiving stuff. I don't want you to give me anything. Come on. We love getting stuff. We love receiving stuff. It feels good. It makes us have an easier life most of the time. Consuming things, having things, using things. We love it. We all know the joys of receiving and possessing and consuming and using for our selfish purposes. And only, I don't mean that in a pejorative. We all know the joy that comes from receiving, possessing, consuming, and using things. So what do we do with this verse? Where Jesus says there is a greater blessing found in giving than there ever will be in receiving and using, possessing, and consuming. Now, folks that have been with us on Wednesday, you've heard this twice, and that means I think God's got even a greater blessing for y'all to get from this. But I think this is so important that we, it bears repeating. This verse does not deny that we don't have joyful experiences when we receive things, but Jesus says that there is a greater blessing, the greatest blessing found in giving. So whatever amount of blessing we can count from being on the receiving end, Jesus puts his name on the line and says, I guarantee you there is a greater blessing found in giving it all away. Now, I know our nature crosses our arms and says, I don't know about that, Justin. That doesn't feel right. And of course it doesn't feel right. This is brain-breaking, but it will fill your heart if you'll let it. Here's where our confessions that we trust Jesus are tested because we all fail to truly believe this verse or we would live a far more sacrificial life, wouldn't we? If this verse reveals that we have left so much joy on the table, we are leaving joy on the table and that just hurts us, doesn't it? We think blessing is found in being filled up, but Jesus says the blessing is found in being poured out. Here on this Thanksgiving Sunday, as we step into the Christmas season, the rush and the roar of this world will pull us in from the true spirit if we are not careful. Jesus promises us, uh, he promises a blessed life, a more blessed life, if we choose a life of giving overtaking. 
We all know the blessings of taking and receiving, and we should be thankful for the blessings that God has given us. But the secret of Christianity is that there is a much more blessed life available if we choose to take what we've been given and live a life of generosity, sacrifice, kindness, and love. That is how we show God we are thankful. That is how our heart can truly be full. Back in 2 Corinthians, the the verse says, God loves a cheerful giver. Because that giver knows they are giving to God and they are giving for God. And it's not a loss in any way. It is a tremendous gain. Paul tells us and exemplifies for us, there is a blessing, a reward, a joy, a prize exclusively found in giving rather than receiving. Almost as in when there is an opportunity to receive and take and hoard and possess, in that moment, every single time, there is a choice we can make that will lead to a greater blessing, a blessing that will be much more than we could ever imagine. A blessing that is found in giving rather than receiving. I leave you with a warning though. This is not natural. This is not instinctive. This is a choice. A choice that Jesus bids us to take, to make. On one occasion, a very rich man came to Jesus looking for affirmation and recognition, hoping to join the movement. Everybody in the crowd oohed and awed that day, giddy with the thought that this guy might join their team. This man came to Jesus bragging of all the good things he had done, probably thinking Jesus would gravel at his feet to schmooze him into to following and making an offering of some kind. Deep down, this man knew that he was missing something, though, and he saw in the man in front of him the exact opposite of a lifestyle, but a heart that he was jealous of. You, you see, this man had lived a life of taking and consuming, investing and possessing. He was very successful. He was very religious, but he lacked peace and he lacked joy. And there Jesus stood, who had lived a life of giving and sacrificing, a life of divesting in poverty. He had nothing, he owned nothing, he had nowhere to lay his head at night. Yet he had a connection to God like no one had ever seen. And this rich man asked Jesus what his secret was. He said, what is the secret to eternal life? How do I get what you've got? I've had it all, done it all, bought it all, possessed it all, but you have something that I can't get. What must I do? And what did Jesus tell him? You you see, there's one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and then you will have treasure in heaven and then follow me. What? Jesus, how in the world could me divesting myself of everything I've got produce something greater? How could that give me treasure greater than what I've got? The man thought about it. Chest thumping, palm sweating. But he couldn't do it. When he heard these things, he became very sad. For he was extremely rich. As well as very lost and extremely empty. The disciples start getting a little worried. I mean, they pushed, they, they had always pushed back at Jesus' statement like this, and they began wondering, what if he asked us to do that? 
We've already given a lot. And Peter said, whoa, whoa, Jesus, look at us. We've left our homes. I mean, hey, look at what we've left for you, Jesus. I hope you're not asking us to divest ourselves of everything. We've left everything for you. And Jesus, knowing that they're worried about their possessions, says, Peter, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of God who will not receive many times more in this time in the age to come. Now, he's not saying many times more physical things. He's saying something that's in their heart that they can't quantify. But then he just walks away. He never goes on to explain it. And then we have this verse in Acts, it is much more blessed to give than receive. How much more, Jesus? How much is many times more? We'll never know until we choose to give and give and give and give this life away. This week, we are especially aware of how blessed we are and we should be thankful. But if we want Thanksgiving to outlast this week, we now know what to do. We have been enriched for one purpose, so that we might be generous and sacrificial, so that we might be full. How much more blessed could we be if we discovered and pursued with abandon the greater exclusive joy found in giving it all for the glory of God. Again, this will break our brain trying to figure out, trying to make it make sense. But if we embrace it, we will have our hearts full like never before. Don't take my word for it. Take the word of God. Take Paul. Take Jesus's life. How much more? We'll never know until we choose to give over take, sacrifice over protect, divest over defend. God is asking all of us to make this choice today. And this is a big choice to make. And it may take baby steps at first but it's worth it. Would you make the choice today to bring whatever is in your hands and give it back to God? Maybe it's something good that you've used for yourself, but you realize God wants it to be used for him. Maybe it's something bad that you've been angry at God about, but now you see that God can be glorified through it and you wanna give it back to him so that he might teach you how you can use it. Maybe you need to bring what's in your hands today and ask God to show you how you can use it for him, how you can live a life of generosity from that place to honor and glorify him that you might truly be blessed. Maybe you're like the rich man and God says you need to empty everything you've got because it's keeping you from something greater. I don't know what God is saying to our hearts today, but I do know this. God is saying it's not about full bellies. It's about full hearts. This is the way to true blessing, much more than we have settled for. So this year, this week, and every day, may we embrace and embody a lifestyle of thanksgiving. It begins with saying thanks, and it ends and continues with giving. That's why they call it thanksgiving. Let's give our lives away so that we might receive something that we cannot find in this world. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this liberating word from your Bible, from the truth that you've revealed. Thank you for showing us in, our, in your word how we are to truly be thankful, how we are to honor you with the things that you've given us. God, our hands are all full of something. 
Maybe it's full of treasures that we just don't know what to do with. We've got so much. And maybe it's full of things that we haven't really ever wanted to own or we've never wanted to really confront or deal with because we aren't really happy about it. And it's our handful, but we don't know what to do with it. And God, we've learned that you've given us this life and you've enriched us with everything so that we might glorify you through everything, showing that we're thankful for all things, seeing you work through our lives always. God, we are thankful people today, but we want to be more than that. We want to be sacrificial people. We want to be generous people. We want to receive this blessing that is much more. The blessing that is found in giving, overtaking, serving, over being served. God, would you make us a people that embody thankfulness and embody thanksgiving? It begins with saying thanks, but it continues with giving our lives away for your glory and for our own good. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.